set you free. Let's stand together, continue our worship time. Victory in Jesus.
Thank you for the victory that we have in you, the victory over death, victory to know that there's life after this life, life eternal. Father, thankful that we as your children know that when the roll is called up yonder, that our name is on that roll. Father, what a day, what a day that's going to be. Father, we lift our pastor to you today. Father, we just pray that you would use him in a mighty way today to preach your word that we may hear what you want us to hear today. Father, thank you for assembling us together in this place today to worship you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said today, amen. What great music. What joy is in this place today. It's good to have so many of you back home from trips and and um, camps and all of these things. So exciting. I appreciate the choir today. A wonderful job. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, great job, choir. Kylie, super proud of you and your testimony before God's church today. And uh, Miss Janelle, I'm going to also say the same thing as Brother Steve. Welcome home. We are so happy to have you here. It is so exciting. And you know, the biggest news of the day, the biggest victory is what happened in the Supreme Court this week. Praise be to God for the victory and the answer to prayer that God gave to us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and thank God. God, we have prayed so many days, so many weeks, months, years, Lord, that this would be done in our country. We know that Scripture clearly teaches that thou shalt not murder. And we are thankful this week for the Supreme Court's decision. We pray now for states as we enter into this important time. We pray for churches, God. We have to step up and be there for would-be moms and these precious children that are going to be saved because of this ruling. God, use us for your glory. We give you praise for this victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If I were to ask 50 people today on the street what is the definition of success, I'm pretty convinced that we would receive 50 different answers. But I'm thankful this morning that there is one definitive definition the Bible offers for success. We've been talking about it in recent weeks, and that is finding and following God's will for your life. And um, so we've been asking ourselves, are you a successful person? Are you finding God's will? Are you following God's will? If you haven't been with us today, I'm super excited to be continuing in this ongoing Old Testament study. Uh, we've been in this now for months. Uh, we've been talking about big names, embracing big names in the Old Testament, discussing big events. 
And um, we're actually arrived, we've arrived now at the big name of Joseph. And we find ourselves now in a little mini-series. We've dealt with a lot of these various big names in the Old Testament, but now a mini-series on Joseph that we've titled Joseph's Road. And we're talking about the long road that Joseph was on his entire life that ultimately led him to success. And on this road, if you remember, I'll kind of review for us, we've talked about We've talked about speed bumps, we've talked about potholes, we've talked about stop signs, and today we're going to talk a little bit about detours. But before we take that detour, I want to take us back to where we were last Sunday. It's important for us to get in context where we are today. And last week, if you were not here, or perhaps you have a short memory, I want to remind you that we met Mrs. Potiphar, remember? And she was who we might call one of the original desperate housewives, if you will. And she was trying to seduce Joseph. But the key was those big three words in the text, but he refused her, right? And we left off with Joseph running away with his cloak in her hands. And her wicked mind devised a plan to punish Joseph for rejecting her. And so, have you ever heard the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? Well, that's certainly applicable in this story because she started screaming and she accused Joseph of attacking her. And she concocted, as we're about to read, a doozy of a story. So I want you to grab your Bibles today. We're going to pick it up in Genesis 39. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be in the text several times today, but we'll stand for this first opportunity in honor of God's word today. Genesis 39 verses 19 through 23. Let's kind of pick it up there with how things go as she, as Joseph's running out. It says in verse 19, when his master heard the story, that doozy of a story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed Joseph kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success. There's our word, isn't it? In whatever he did. Uh, Today, it's my prayer. We'll be back in this text as we kind of carry on with this story. It's my prayer today that we will see that the detours of life, God uses those for his glory if we'll just pay attention. Let's be seated. So Joseph goes to prison, and he eventually is joined in prison. You may remember the story by by two of Pharaoh's servants, and the story goes this way. The two servants are the cup maker, the cup bearer, excuse me, and the baker. And both the cupbearer and the baker, they have strange dreams, and Joseph ends up interpreting both of their dreams. He told the baker that his days were numbered and he would be executed, but he told the cupbearer that he would be restored to his place of service to Pharaoh. And then Joseph asked the cupbearer to help him out when he was released. Now, both dreams come true, just as Joseph said, and the baker was executed. The cupbearer went back to the palace. And so now we kind of go back into the story, this time in Genesis chapter 40. Pick it up in verse 23. Here's what it says. 
The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. You just thought your dreams were strange, right? Verse number five. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads, and then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Now, Pharaoh has these two dreams, and no one could tell Pharaoh what the cows meant. No one could tell Pharaoh what the cows meant. And as a result, he became moody, right? He was in utter despair, if you will. So finally, the cupbearer in this moment, all right, remembers Joseph. And so now we go back to the story again, this time in chapter 41. We have a lot of text today, but I want us to get the entire story. This time, chapter 41, verse verse 9, as we kind of read this portion to completion, it says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard, and each of us had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out, he said, exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before the Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So that's a lot of scripture, as I said. But I think it's only fair to us, if we're going to understand all that we're going to talk about today, that we understand the whole story. I wanted us to see, really, my point is, I wanted us to see that Joseph's road wasn't straight. His road was filled with detours. His life, his road was not smooth in any form or fashion from technicolor coat to rock bottom in a pothole, right? From daddy's favorite to a mere slave, from head of the house to shackled in prison, from remember me to being forgotten for two entire years, detour after detour after detour. And when we hear that about Joseph, it doesn't take us but about this long to realize that our lives are in essence the exact same way. 
It was that way for Joseph. It's still that way for us. Life is filled with unexpected twists and turns and detours. So today, I want to talk about these detours. Because I believe there are several similarities between life's detours and the actual traffic detours that you and I experience on the highway. And here's the first one I want to point out. I think the text declares this to us. Detours are usually unexpected. Now let me ask you today, let's, let's go to our life. Have you ever been on a trip and suddenly there was a detour ahead? When it happens, you don't expect it. Life's detours are the exact same way, right? You can be traveling along in life when suddenly everything changes, everything turns without warning. One day you're perfectly well, the next day you're lying in a hospital bed. Goodness gracious, I know about that. One day you have a job, the next day you're looking for a job. One day somebody that you've loved for life is beside you, the next day they're not. I guess it's why somebody said this, life is what happens when you're making other plans. So the first thing I think that's similar in detours for us is they're usually unexpected. Let me give you a second thing. Most detours are on rough roads. Now, several years ago, we'll remember this, we had massive flooding in Navarro County. It was significant. We opened up our church as an, as an emergency Red Cross shelter. We were receiving people soaking wet who had driven off into swollen creeks right here in our church. Rivers were out of their banks everywhere. They had closed roads. They had opened up detours. And, and I'll never forget that I took one of those. It was a road. I'll never forget it. It was filled with potholes, and I don't like potholes. There was no shoulder on the road, barely wide enough for for two cars, and that's the way detours are. Detours have to be driven slowly. They have to be driven carefully. You may not know the path. It seems to be that they're rough. Now, consider Joseph. He should have received rewards, right, for accomplishing this great spiritual victory. He resisted temptation, but instead his detour was a false accusation of rape and a free trip to jail. It was rough. It was rocky. Most detours are are on rough roads. A third thing, detours have to be taken in faith. Detours have to be taken in faith. When, when you see a detour sign, it's probably a pathway you've never traveled before. And you have to trust the sign. You have to trust that that detour is going to get you back where you were supposed to be in the first place. You have to have faith when you're on a detour. You see, God's road to success is really not a freeway. It's more of a faith way, Right? It's more of a faith way. In life, we don't walk by sight spiritually. We walk by faith. And you've got to believe that Joseph wondered why in the world was he suffering in jail when he was innocent. He had to be asking, why me, Lord? Why am I on this rough road? But God had a destination in mind. That's why I love that we can see the whole story. He was paving a way for Joseph to be more than he had ever been. He was paving the way for Joseph, we know, to be the prime minister of all of Egypt. Now, it didn't look like it to Joseph. It never looks like it to us either, but God was in control. We can't ever think that we've got God all figured out. 
I learned this as a teenager. I still know this as, as a dad, right? As a, as a grown man. We can never believe that we have God figured out. The oldest people in this room, you don't have God figured out at all, do you? None of us do. Our minds are like tiny grains of sand compared to the massive universe of God's omniscience. But sometimes it seems to us, right, that God, what he's doing doesn't make sense. But let me say this. That's because we don't have enough sense for God's sense to make sense. We don't have that capacity. Isaiah 55 said this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Friend, God is beyond you. Detours have to be taken in faith. We just have to trust God. Somebody say amen. Let me give you one more. You can whine on a detour, or you can cheerfully accept a detour. Let me go back to my little detour in Navarro County. When I first got on the detour, I was frustrated. Nobody likes that, right? You turn down a road, and there's a sign that says detour, and you're thinking, I I don't want to go through all of this, and that's the way I felt. I was off my path. I wasn't making good time, which in Danny Reeves' world is very important. you got to make good time, right? But that detour took me through this beautiful pathway, some beautiful countryside. And ultimately, it was a wonderful scenic drive. And i got to be honest with you, that distracting detour actually became a delight. I actually enjoyed the new road that I was on. And I think that's the way it was for Joseph. The detour of his life, it could have turned him into a whiner. Somebody who was complaining all the time. He could have said, it's just not fair. I don't deserve this. But instead of whining, he actually focused on shining. He turned his detour into an opportunity to excel. It's amazing. Do you see what it said in the text? And God was with him and he put him in charge. Everywhere that he goes, those things are common to his story. God was with him and God put him in charge. Let me ask you today several very personal questions. Are you traveling on a detour right now? It's not where you expected to be in life. A detour of sorrow, perhaps. Has death taken somebody from you? I want to say trust Jesus and hear him say, let not your heart be troubled. Are you on a detour of loneliness? Many people find themselves on that road. Hear Jesus say, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Some people are on a detour of pain and suffering. It wasn't expected, and yet here you are. Hear God say to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Has someone let you down and and you can't seem to forgive them? Hear Jesus, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. God allowed Joseph to travel down some interesting detours. But every time he would come back around, and that's why Joseph is so amazing. It's why I wanted to to, to tap the brakes and pause and get into his life more. It's why we need to study him. So what I want to do is this, to complete the sermon. I want to look at several key characteristics of Joseph's life that allowed him to survive these 
speed bumps and these potholes and to resist temptation to recover from these detours every time. What, what are the commonalities that keep showing up in his life? What are the key characteristics that are there? Because he did some key things that all of us can do exactly if we want to find success in God's eyes. And I want us to incorporate these into our lives. Here's the first thing. We can learn this from Joseph. Whatever job you have, give it your best. Whatever job you have, give it your best. Look back at Joseph's life. Whenever he was a servant in Potiphar's house, he worked so diligently that he was promoted to the chief servant, right? When he was in prison, he worked so hard. He he had such good conduct and behavior. He was promoted to run the whole prison. Folks, when Joseph showed up in a place, when he took a job, he worked at it as if God were his boss. Colossians chapter 3 comes to mind. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. So the lesson is simple. If you're faithful and diligent in the small things, then God will entrust you to the big things. Small jobs done faithfully in God's eyes will lead to big jobs. There's a young man named Sam. I don't know if you know him, but he once had a job as an assistant manager working in what we might call one of these five and dime stores back in the day. And one of the most unpleasant jobs that Sam had was cleaning the employee restroom. I mean, nobody wanted to do that. But he decided he would make a game out of it and see if he could make that toilet cleaner than anybody else. And he actually thought in his mind, I'm going to make it so clean that I drink the water out of this thing, right? Well, later Sam became the manager of that Ben Franklin store. And then he became the manager of several Ben Franklin stores. And then he started his own store in Rogers, Arkansas. And by now, you probably are beginning to put together who Sam is. It was Sam Walton, the creator of the Walmart empire. Do you see the point of the story? Whatever job you have, give it your best, right? That's what Joseph did. And you can do that. And I can do that. We can incorporate that into our lives. Whatever job you have, give it your absolute best. Second principle from Joseph. However long it takes, don't give up. How many of us need to hear that today? However long it takes, don't give up. Can you imagine Joseph's feelings? Languishing in that prison, right, for two long years after he had helped the cupbearer. Unbelievable! This guy forgot him. And I'll bet he was tempted to quit. I'll bet he wanted to throw in the towel. I I would imagine in a disgusted emotion, he thought, what does it matter anymore? Right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wanted to quit? I know a lot of kids are playing Little League Baseball right now. And I look back at my Little League days... And I remember the first piece of coaching advice I think that I ever received. It's one that stuck with me at least. And here's what the coach said. We were behind in a game one day, and it was nearing the later innings of the game. And he said this to us. He said, boys, winners never quit, and quitters never win. And that stuck with me. It's scriptural. 
Galatians chapter 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we what? Don't give up. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Given, The Purpose Driven Life, said great people are just ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. He said they simply don't know how to quit. I believe that a person's greatness is not determined by their fame, position, or wealth, but rather what it takes to discourage that person. We should apply that to our lives. However long it takes, however long it has to go, we simply will not give up. We learned that from Joseph. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Don't give up however long it takes. Let me give you a last one. Wherever you go, acknowledge the Lord. This cries out over and over from Joseph's life. It's one of the keys I see when I studied Joseph during every single detour. He never stopped talking about the Lord. Let me give you examples. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he said he couldn't sin against God. Whenever the cupbearer and the baker asked him about the dreams, Joseph said all the interpretations belong to God. And then he, when he was brought before the most important man of the world at that time, Joseph spoke about God. Chapter 41, verse 16, he said, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He just kept acknowledging the Lord. Do you do that? Do you acknowledge the Lord? When you lie down, when you rise, when you walk on the road, as Scripture says. When I think about acknowledging the Lord, I, I could go many different directions, but I, I think about Truett Cathy. Chick-fil-A, right? Praise God we have Chick-fil-A in Corsicana now. It's the first amen I've gotten from some people the entire sermon. <laughs> Truett Cathy was a man who acknowledged the Lord. He founded this tremendous business by perfecting the chicken sandwich. Isn't that amazing? But from the very start, Truett Cathy, he just kept focusing on the Lord. He made a commitment, and we know this because sometimes we leave church and we say, Hey, let's go eat at Chick-fil-A. And then we go, Oh my goodness, it's closed on Sundays. Why is that the case? He wasn't trying to be legalistic. He just wanted to honor the Lord and respect the Lord's day. And I think he teaches us something. If you want to truly succeed in life, you should memorize Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, don't be ashamed. Own your business, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Work at a business, don't be ashamed of the Lord. In your neighborhood, don't be ashamed of the Lord. I heard somebody say that they weren't sure they could talk about the ruling from the Supreme Court this week in their church out of fear that they might offend somebody. You know what? You need to get a new church. Acknowledge the Lord wherever you go. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give Him credit. Speak His name. Let everybody know who you are and whose you are and where you stand. You see, that brings us to some closing thoughts. Joseph was down and out, but he wasn't done. 
He rebounded. He made one of those classic comebacks. He pulled himself up out of the ditch and he got back on the road. But you know, he didn't do it alone. No, God did it. And God was with him because God had a plan for his life. I believe this with all my heart. The shortest distance between misery and joy, the shortest distance between success and failure is knowing and loving God. And that's what Joseph learned, and that's what we can learn too. So let's take the attitude that we're not going to give up. Let's acknowledge God in everything that we do. 